0: All right, well, it's, uh, it's a great blessing for me to be able to, uh, uh, for me and my wife to be here with you. Um, missed a lot of you guys. It's been, I, I think, since pre-COVID, since uh, we've been able to be here. And uh, so it's a great blessing to be back. Also, a lot of new faces. Anxious to meet you as well. Um, Caleb says, my name is Tim. Um, Michelle and I, we work at a congregation in West Harlem. Um, and, uh, we're just grateful that, uh, in spite of all the craziness that's been going on lately, we, uh, see the, the growth of the gospel in the city. Uh, you guys are meeting in a new location now, which is cool, not just for the change of scenery, but because that means you guys are growing in, in number. Uh, that's a very exciting thing. And, um, and I know it's not just in number, but in spiritual maturity. Um, and so anxious to uh, to be able to reconnect with many of you and, and meet the rest of you. And so just a lot lot to be thankful for there. Um, I've been working on a series of lessons from the Book of Numbers. Uh, the number uh, Book of Numbers is an Old Testament book. It's about the journey of the Israelites from Egypt to the Promised Land. And it's a really good book where you can focus on the sinfulness of man, the ugliness of man. And um, I was thinking, you know, if we've got the Gospels, that tell about the mercy of God and the goodness of Jesus. Well, the anti-gospel would be Numbers, which is the ugliness and the uh, ingratitude of man. Uh, I thought myself a little bit clever having come up with that. And then I kind of realized, well, you could say the same thing about Judges and Samuel and Kings and Chronicles too. Uh, But let's just roll with that. Um, And so one of the sins that we see very present in the book of Numbers is the sin of greed. And again, if if you're familiar with the book, you're like, man, those Israelites were bad. And God was like, woof, He was punishing them a lot. And it was a very wrathful time. And you think about the sins that they committed. Yes, there was immorality. And yes, there was idolatry. But what's really the sin that is emphasized and repeated most of all? And that is the sin of ingratitude and the sin of greed. And yet today, you know, appropriately so, we're working against the sins of immorality and lying and and these sorts of things, which we should. But man, greed is pushed pretty far to the side. And if it's emphasized so much in the book of Numbers, why is it not emphasized so much either in our teaching, but probably more accurately in our self-reflection, Right. You know, that's kind of like, well, the bonus sin, like we, we can't do these things. And if, if you're also not doing that, then that's even better. And so we're not really, greed's not really our problem, right? But I think as we go through this text today, we're going to see, no, nah, greed's probably a lot bigger of a problem for a lot more of us than we're comfortable uh, acknowledging. And hopefully this text here can convict us. And that's uh, my hope for this morning. Um, But knowing the power of the Spirit, I believe that uh, that can be accomplished. So let's take a look again at the book of Numbers. Um, And really all of our uh, study today is going to come primarily from Numbers 11, but also referencing some in 1 Timothy 6. Uh, As a side point, 1 Timothy 6 is a good chapter to talk about money, talk about greed. But to properly understand what's going on here, we need to know the situation that the Israelites found themselves in at that time. Think about what it is that God had previously done for them. Well, he saved them from Egyptian slavery, which that's a pretty big deal. That's, that's a step up. You go from being you know, abused slaves, and not all slavery is created equal throughout history. This is the especially bad slavery, the, the especially bad slavery that this country is familiar with, the ugliest form of slavery that we can think of. And that's what they were living in for a long, long time. And what did God do? He sent the 10 plagues. To liberate them from this enemy, they cross through the Red Sea. God says, be silent and watch me do my thing. I'm going to do this 100% for you. They're traveling through the wilderness. uh, And this travel is really in three stages from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Then they spend some time at Mount Sinai. And then they go to the Promised Land. So here they are traveling to Mount Sinai. God's providing them bread. In the desert, he provides for them water. In the desert, he provides for them military protection. Uh, when they are completely vulnerable against uh, the enemies that surround them. And yet, what has been the consistent Israelite response through all of this? Well, they, gr- they cry out and they grumble. They don't ask God. They, they complain against Moses. They say, where's our bread? Is God even among us? That's one of the worst phrases they said. Is God even here? You know, we would have been better off dying in Egypt when they come to the Red Sea, when they lack water, when they lack bread. Always the same lines they keep repeating. Where is God? And we were better off in Egypt. But so far on this journey, in spite of all their bad attitudes, God was just giving them the things that they needed. He gave them the bread. He gave them the water. Uh, the transition comes uh, after Exodus 32 when they create and worship the golden calf. That's when God begins to punish them for their wicked attitudes, as we're going to see today. But up so far, he's like, you know what? I feel like I probably proved to them who I am and what I'm able to do, but let me keep hooking them up. Let me keep helping them. They're going to figure it out. They're going to understand the kind of God that I am. Um, but we also need to acknowledge the situation that the Israelites were in. And we're going to talk about this more in a second. But they were traveling through a desert, Three, a three-month journey through a desert, Um, not an easy time for them. So we can see why they would be tempted to grumble and complain. Um, let's go ahead and read our text again. I appreciate Caleb reading it, but since this is our main text and it's relatively short, we'll go ahead and uh, read it one more time to keep it fresh in our minds. So this is uh, numbers 11, verse four, the rabble, imagine this, this big band of hooligans, right? This rabble who were among them, they had greedy desires. There's our word greedy. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat? That's another is God among us phrase. Who is there that can provide for us meat? We remember the good old days, the fish that we used to eat, keyword free in Egypt. Was it really free? Eh, There might have been a certain taxation on that fish that they are not remembering. Uh, We used to eat the fish free in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. And we've got nothing to even look at except for what? The manna, which happens to be free, actually free from God. So that's what they say here. Now, what's important is that it refers to their greedy desires. So this assembly in God's perspective is greedy. So let's, let's learn what is greed from God's perspective. What does greed actually look like? Well, if you read the dictionary, it's going to tell you this. It's an intense, selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Based on my study through this lesson, I would kind of define it as follows, similar. It's a self-focused desire that comes from a sense of entitlement, expectation, and dissatisfaction for what you have. When we think of greed, we need to think about the ugliness of the desire. And maybe more than what is being desired, it's the ugliness in us that is doing the desiring, the ugliness from which this desire comes from, and the ugliness that we do because of this desire. Now, we need to think about what these Israelites were greedy for. It's really easy to want to beat up on them and pound them for being so wicked, and that's easy to do because that's what the text does, right? But... If we're too hard on them, we do ourselves a disservice to realize, wait a second, what would we be like in their circumstances? Because if we put ourselves in their shoes, that's when we become a little more merciful. Like, well, I mean, think about it. What were they greedy for? They were greedy for meat. If they were greedy for meat, that means they did not have a whole lot to begin with. I mean, think about it. How much meat do we have in this country? We're doing pretty good for meat. You know, how many of us have bacon or sausage this morning? Are we having chicken for lunch? You know, we have meat, those of us who who eat meat, at least every single day. But that's what they were greedy for. They did not have much. They had just enough water to survive, right? Uh, They had food. But keep in mind, it was the same food every day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's the three months that they traveled to Mount Sinai. They were at Mount Sinai for a year and a half. Uh, my, my illustration for this is uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. I have a funny relationship with Honey Nut Cheerios. If I haven't had Honey Nut Cheerios in a minute, I say, man, I want some Honey Nut Cheerios. I have that first bowl. of like, man, this stuff is good. You know, like, I forgot how good this stuff is. It's hitting just right. So I eat the box, and then I buy another box and another one. And by the third box, I'm eating Honey Nut Cheerios, I don't know, three, maybe four times a week in the morning. By the third box, I'm like, all right, this is it's starting to overstay its welcome. And, and the way the manna is described, it's this sweet, flaky bread. I bet it was good. I bet the first time they had it, they're like, all right, this is great. Man, this bread's nice. But it doesn't matter what kind of food it is. It could be pizza. It could be rice and beans. If you have the same thing every single day, three meals a day, how are you going to begin to feel about that? Come on, man, we got to get some variety here. At least in Egypt, we had variety of foods, which was accurate. All they wanted was some meat and something different to eat how would we feel in that circumstance? No AC, you're living in a tent, you're probably not able to like, well, of course you can't take any showers. I don't know what kind of, how they could bathe themselves all that much. Again, the limitation of food. What would we say if we were in those situations? How would we feel if we were in those situations? What would we desire if we were in those situations? And we can only imagine because I believe probably the majority of, majority of us here have not been in that situation. Maybe we have. I know this is a real situation for a regrettable large amount of people in this world. Not as much for people here. Maybe you came from that in a different situation. And if you did, man, educate us on what I personally will never be able to understand, at least so far in my life. But that's where they were. And yet they were considered to be greedy. And why is that? Well, I can think again of the ugliness, the entitlement and expectation. They deserved to have a better life. I mean, God freed them from Egypt, yes. But this ain't much better. If we're not any happier here, then what was the benefit of leaving there? God, you owe us a more comfortable, a more convenient and a more, forget luxury, just decent life. They deserved that. And that's why they felt they had the right to express their desire so carelessly. Well, there was also a sense of self-focus. Why did they not have a good life at that time? And I think it's also helpful to know God says that their life was not good. In the desert, he said it was not a good life. He says the desert was awful. And it was a time of testing. Why? That you would learn, you don't live by bread alone. You live by my word. So God would say, yes, life is hard. Yes, this is ugly. This is difficult. But I've got a reason for you to go through the things that you're going through. Well, that's not fair, God. Is it not fair? I'm testing you now to teach you lessons now because what do I have planned for you? Ever heard of the land flowing with milk and honey? We've been saying that a couple of times. You, I, I know it's been three months. I know it's been uh, now a year and six months. I know you got three more months of journey, but can you work with me? Can you focus on my plans for you rather than what you feel like you need right here in this moment? But they didn't, they didn't care about God's plan. They only have their own ideas. And of course, there is the ingratitude. The fact that, Yes, life was difficult, but but what happened to everything God did for them previously? What happened to what God was doing for them there in that moment? That That doesn't mean anything. Yes, it's difficult, but can't you think about how things are maybe better? Can't you think about how you would be dead? You'd be slaves or you'd be dead in the desert if it wasn't for me? Can't you think about maybe you've got something good to look forward to? That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. It's a lot of ingratitude there. Um, not to mention they received the law of Moses, which was a blessing that they could enter into this special ceremonial rela- relationship with God, knowing how to worship him in a unique and special way that only they had. Others could, could join and be a part of it. but They were privileged to have that. And on top of this, I think we get a healthy dose or rather a healthy perspective of what God's standard for greed is. Uh, What we tend to do is only think of greed as an obsession with money. So if I'm not obsessed with money, I must not be greedy. But that's the same thing as saying pride is only when someone brags a lot. right? There are people who brag a lot. There's not that many people who are constantly bragging. Probably we're not always bragging about ourselves that much. I would not assume that about many of us here. Does that mean we don't struggle with pride? Come on. We we know, man, pride's big. Pride's complicated. Pride is very encompassing of a lot of different things. And no matter how humble you are, you could be Moses himself. And we see the nuances of his pride when he strikes the rock and says, you bunch of bums, we got to bring water for you. Okay, there's there's Moses' pride there. God bless him, but even even him. And so what about greed? Oh, well, I'm not greedy. I, I'm not obsessed with more money. Like, I'm not trying to buy no boat. To me, that's like the official, like, rich, right? There's, like, rich, <laughs> and then there's, like, boat rich, right? If you got a boat, like, all right, all right. Well, I, I ain't boat rich, you know? And so I must not have a problem with greed. Well, that's very, very not accurate. That's if maybe we're taking a limited worldly perspective of greed. That is not the biblical perspective of greed. Think about the standard of greed. God makes it clear to us there is a big difference between need and want. Not that we're not allowed to want things, right? We're allowed to want things. That's fine. But there's a difference between what we need and what we want, and we really get them confused do we need air conditioning i mean well i kind of but let me tell you we don't need air conditioning we will survive without air conditioning now you can go buy an air conditioning unit for a certain amount of money and there's no reason you can if you've got the money and, and make your life more normal that's fine i used to not i was too I was too much of a bum and too cheap to buy an air conditioning unit um no one wanted to come to my house I had the windows open. The mosquitoes came in and bit everybody. I couldn't figure out why nobody wanted to come over. Uh, finally, someone donated <laughs> their old AC unit. I put that in. My friends came back over. You know, like we, we can have things, right? But remember the difference between what do I want and what do I need. Even something like an air conditioning unit is in the realm of want, not in the realm of need. Not that's right to have it. But look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 8. He says, listen. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. And so I think here is the line for necessity. Uh, We're allowed to struggle with our contentment if we don't have certain necessities. And God says, all right, but what are your necessities? Food, covering. With food, I think we're allowed to include drink. That's as essential as food. So food and drink, water. Covering, I think we can include both clothing and shelter. So food, drink, clothing, shelter are in the necessity category. We need those things for our human survival. And if we have those necessities, that is sufficient, not only in God's eyes, but in the eyes of Paul, a disciple just like us, that is sufficient. Everything beyond that is want. It's okay for us to have beyond that. God gives us beyond that. God gave the Israelites beyond that in the land flowing with milk and honey, but that is beyond necessity. And we need to understand the difference. We get a little bit uncomfortable with greed now because, wait a second, if, if that's where we're moving the bar, what does that mean for me? Something that that, that helps me with this Um yeah, I like the story of the Samaritan woman when she goes to Jesus, and Jesus is like, "Man, I got something good for you." She's like, "What? Well, I got living water. Living water? That sounds great." And, and what did she think living water was? You mean I ain't gonna have to come here with my bucket and and get water every single day? In her eyes, this 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 miraculous paradise gift was what we call plumbing you ever think about plumbing man talk about taking things for granted plumbing is the greatest because you you turn on your faucet uh and i don't know about the pipes in your building but our water is coming from the catskills new york city if you've if you've been around a couple of places new york city is some of the best tap water some of the best drinking tap water you're gonna find if you don't believe me go to florida and then buy some bottled water because it's a struggle down there right you, you turn the faucet, you have an unlimited supply of pure, healthy drinking water. Right? Oh, I want some hot water to wash my dishes. Boom, I got that too in an instant. Well, I got to wait, I don't know, a minute till it gets hot. But boom. What if I want to take a shower? I could go take a shower. I mean, like, if you've traveled on things, living without a hot shower is something you have to get used to, if you're not used to it. I mean, when I travel, I go to camp, we do this thing, we do that thing. We want to go home. We want to take that hot shower and just reset. Man, that is a blessing, right? What if it's 40 degrees outside, you live in a cinder block house, and you don't have hot water to bathe with? That's a struggle, right? Um, not to get too gross, but when we use the facilities, we can flush the toilet. You ever think about that? What if you could not flush your toilet? You know, people used to throw things out the windows into the streets and cities back in the day. So every day I'm drinking some water, I'm flushing my toilet, I'm taking a shower. I've got this living water that this Samaritan woman was coveting after. Let's talk about need, let's talk about one. Who are we as people in this country with the possessions that we have? Again, one more thing, the land flowing with milk and honey. You go to the grocery store, you're gonna find some milk? You're gonna find some honey? I'm like, man, forget milk, forget honey. I want some Pepsi, I want some ice cream. Like, that's that's my milk and honey. Like, we don't even care about milk and honey. Milk and honey are obvious essentials. Let me get something real good, let me get a treat. That's the kind of country that we're living in. These are the kind of circumstances that, that we are living in. We need to stop taking things for granted. So the types of things that we're greedy for, again, we think greed is just money. But greed is bigger than money. What what we're actually greedy for, all of us here, what we're all struggling with is we're greedy for better circumstances. We're greedy for more convenience, right? We want that appliance. We want this thing. We want that parking spot. Why? What makes life convenient? That's okay if you can do that. We get greedy for more and more convenience. Things got to be smoother for me. We're looking for more comfort. I got to be more cozy, more comfort, feel better. We need more satisfaction. We're greedy for more status. We're greedy for a better self-image. We're greedy for a more sense of safety. So why am I greedy for money and possessions? Because money and possessions seem to be the best way to get more convenience. That's why I have to buy the appliance. That's why I've got to buy these sheets or that bed. That's why I got to buy this security system because those potentially provide for me more comfort, more convenience, and more security. And in a sense, they do. These are tools. These are things. And they do provide those things. And it's okay for us to want certain things. But again, this is in the area of want. How much do I need or how much do I want? And so our desire becomes more in the realm of greed when we think about the intensity of our desire, how much that desire governs us, and what that desire leads us to do. If it leads me to ungodly thinking of negativity, ingratitude, dissatisfaction, and then behavior, whining, complaining, being a burden on people, even theft and stealing and being dishonest, you get more stuff, right? So they say to God, who will give us meat? And let's think a little bit more about what it is that makes greed so sinful. Well, greed is an insult to the giver. They insulted their giver when they said the words that they did. They questioned, is there even a God powerful enough or loving enough to give what we think we deserved? You know who you know who's better than God? The Egyptians. My Egyptian taskmaster was was better to me than God is. Uh, that's, that's a little disrespectful. We doubt God's ability to give, that he wants to or is able. So if he ain't gonna give to me, then who's gonna get it? Well, I guess I gotta step up and be God here. Let, let me do my thing. And of course, we don't appreciate what he what he's given us. Uh, we've been set free from sin, you know, that whole thing. Uh, we've been made into a temple that the Holy Spirit spiritually lives in. A spiritual reality; God abides not only in His collective church, but in the individual saint. Right? We have this hope of perfection waiting for us after we travel our three months our year and a half in this wilderness yeah but what else you got you know I was I was pretty pumped about that for the first three months the first year of my Christian walk but God you, you gotta you gotta give me something else here to keep me interested but of course again what earthly blessings do we have even beyond that First uh, Timothy 6 7 says we've brought nothing into this world so, we cannot take anything out of it either. I'm not entitled, right? Of course not. Well, when you think about entitlement, entitlement is feeling like you deserve something that's not actually owed to you. So, what is in the realm of potential entitlement? Well, when you were born into this world, what did you have? Jeff, Jeff, clothing? Came out all naked, right? You, you, you didn't. You needed a bath. For, you know. First of all, do you have any food? You had parents. That's good. <laughs> we we had nothing when we came here. So who says any of this is what is due to me? Everything I have is lent to me. Even my even my wife. You know, I'm borrowing her. She belongs to the Lord. He's lending her to me, to be my my significant other. I I, I don't deserve that. I'm not owed to have the wife that I have, and yet here here she is, (laughs) right? Um, You know, nothing is something owed to us. Everything is a gift. And how should I view my gifts and how should I respond to my gifts? Not with a sense of entitlement. Uh, We also end up desiring the gift only and not the giver, right? God, what else do you have to give me? I, I want what you can give me, but you, I'm not that interested in. But also, I think that the creation's got more to give me than, than you do anyways. You know, I, I'm only interested in what you have to give me because that's where my happiness is going to come from. You know, I, I like you just because you can provide that, but you're not going to keep me happy. Only the gifts are going to keep me happy. And all of this ends up just being a burden on the giver. When we're greedy, all this ugly desire is put on somebody. Right? And of course, we're putting that on the Lord. But our greed is not only being carried by God himself, it's being carried by any kind of people we share relationships with. They've got to bear the burden of my greed cuz somebody make me happy here. Someone make my life better. Uh, you look at Numbers 11, verse 11 and 14, Moses' Moses's response here, and he's not perfect in everything that he says. Uh, but first of all, Moses is speaking to God as opposed to the Israelites just complaining, period. Uh, and so God's tolerant with some of Moses' mm, less than perfect statements. Um, but Moses got a point here. He says to God, listen, God, this is the reality. Why are you being so hard on me? Why, why have I not found favor in your sight? What do you got wrong with me? Why did you put all these people? Why did you put the burden of these people on me? I cannot carry this on my own. It's too burdensome for me. And he's speaking truth. He can't carry it on his own. He wasn't, even though it felt like it. But why did he feel so burdened? What did he do? Where did he come from? What did he give up? What, had, what kind of life has he been living? And who's he been doing that for? He's been serving the people. He loves the people. He's going to pray on behalf of the people. God, please do not destroy them for building the golden calf. And how do they feel about Moses? We're not happy. We want more. You know, this is all your fault anyway. I, I cannot satisfy these people. Their satisfaction is a burden I can't bear. Think about our relationships. Parents, have you felt burdened by the greedy desires of your children? I get an amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. You know, like, you, you buy them the gift. You know, we didn't have the money for it, but let me be irresponsible because I, I want to make, make my kid happy. And I get them the gift. And they don't like it. They, they don't care that I bought it. Or maybe they do like it, but then they immediately start talking about the next thing that they want. What, do you, what can you do about that? They don't, they don't help you do the dishes. Hey, can you do the dishes? Ah, come on, mom. Are you kidding? I do the dishes my whole life. I cook the dinner and you can't even do this. You're so greedy. We we feel that burden. Children, do you feel the burden of your parents' greed? Your parents have expectations for you. You got to be this and do that. I got an A on my test. Well, of course you did. You need it. My son's going to get A's on this test. Show me the A on the next test. Right, keep it coming. Do children feel the burden of trying to satisfy the greed of their parents? Spouses, how much do we burden one another with our expectations and desires? Is it my spouse's job to make me happy or make my life better, and make me satisfied? These strain our relationships. And we're not talking about money. We're talking about greed for other things, entitlement for other things. Now, greed is a sneaky sin. Um, we're very inclined to feel like that's not our problem. That's why Jesus says in Luke twelve fifteen, you need to beware. Be on guard against every form of greed. Ah, oh, man. All right, Jesus. <laughs> Got it. So what are some indicators that there is some greed in my heart, some greed in my life? Truth is, it shouldn't be that hard to tell. We're very sensitive about the greed of other people. Other people's financial decisions were like, well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Right? Or when people expect things of us, come on, that, that's too much. Well, we see greed, but of course, it's hard to see greed in our own lives. So, some obvious things we could think about to help us see greed do we always want more? You know, it's okay for me to want this, but if I have that, how, how quick am I to want the next thing? Am I already, okay, got it, moving on? The, this has got to be in place and that and that and that and that. When do we ever get to that point where like, all right, you know, I put things in order. Here we are. Or is it always the next thing? Uh, Do we despise what we have? You know, it's not just I want the next thing. Man, I'm sick of what I have. Uh, You you, you look at Numbers 21, 21, 5. The people, again, this is after God gave them meat. We're talking later. Once again, they cry out to God and Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food there is no water, and we loathe this miserable food. How can you in the same sentence complain about not having food and complain about the quality of food that you have? Right, there's a little bit of a breakdown. They hated what they have. We're not really allowed to hate what we have. Now there's a difference between knowing that something could be better in hating it, right? And it's okay for us to want to maybe improve certain things. Your car is going to get to a point where like, it might be better to have a better car. But we're not allowed to hate what we have. Why not? Because it was a gift. You can't, you're not allowed to hate gifts. You can hate something that you make that belongs to you, but someone gave it to you, you can't turn around and then hate it. Uh, a good example for me, uh, I used to drive a minivan, a 2001 Honda Odyssey. Uh, I struggled with hating that car. <laughs> uh, I was like mid-20s, driving around in a minivan. I didn't like the way it drove. Um, it was, you know, it's a minivan. so It's a large car in New York City. I had it in one of the worst blizzardy winters that I've had in the 16 years that I've lived up here. I spent so much time trying to get that front wheel drive, you know, behemoth of a car in and out of parking spots. Yeah, not not a happy time. The reason I had the car is because I was picking up all these crazy kids from Brooklyn, from Bronx, from Jersey, from Queens, taking them to Bible classes, which was a good thing to do, but that was obviously a difficult thing. You know, a lot of challenges and all the work and labor there. And, And this car kept having problems. You know, I got it in the first month, I had to replace a transmission. All right, you know, and then I had to, the, the shocks and things and these things, always a financial burden. I really struggled to like that car. Uh, and sometimes I hated that car. But do you know how I got that car? I actually inherited that car. Uh, it was a donation given to uh, Emily Hall to drive around pick up kids uh, when she got married and moved to Atlanta. I inherited it from her, so it's a free car that was given by the saints to do the work of the Lord, which I was being equipped to do, and there was a lot of good things being done in that car. You know, it wasn't always great that we took 14 kids in that minivan to a Bible study, because that's not safe, but at least we got 14 kids to a Bible study in that minivan. Thank the Lord that he protected us when I was making some very foolish decisions. But, I mean, there was a lot of good work being done with that car, And who am I to hate that car, right? We struggle to like and to appreciate what we have. Now, we can get a better car, especially if it's breaking down. We can update this thing and update that thing. It might not be the best and it's okay that you don't think it's the best because it's not the best. And it's also okay to say, you know, it'd be nice to have something better maybe, but it's not okay to hate it. We gotta be patient. In content, and so the Lord provides us with something different. That's that's what we're talking about here. And so really the, the greatest indication of whether we are or are not greedy, how much do we complain? Right? How much do we complain? Complaining is the unrestrained manifestation of the ugly ingratitude and greed in our hearts. That's what complaining is. It just does. Um we think we're allowed to complain. It's normal. Read the book of Numbers. We're not allowed to complain. We're not. You could say, hey, God, we kind of need some, some water. We're like out of water. Can, can we have water? Like, you're, you're taking care of us, right? I mean, if, if you don't give us water, I don't, we're all going to die. Like, Can we have some water? That's not complaining. It's communicating to the Lord about the things that you need. They say, ah, oh, this is worse. This is terrible. I'm going to get out of here. I'd rather die in Egypt. That's complaining. Right? If we complain, and and complaining is not just what we say out loud to other people. Complaining is what's going on on the inside. I complain a lot on the inside. It's hard to control those attitudes. But the more we externalize our complaining, whether by saying it or even thinking it, the stronger it grows internally. It's justifying that greed and that desire. We're lying to ourselves constantly about why we've got the right to do the way that we do, and we don't. That's the lies of Satan. All right. So that's a lot for us to think about here. So let's talk about some solutions. And now we're going to go through this last portion a little bit quicker. Think about some solutions to the problem of greed. First things first, let's talk about what is not the solution. They were greedy for meat. So you would think, well, give them some meat. And then what? That will solve the problem, Right. It's so not what happens? You look at Numbers 11, 18 through 20. I'm probably going to paraphrase some of this here. God hears their voices. He says, All right, y'all want some meat? He, he, he pulls the ultimate dad moves. Says, I'm going to give you some meat. I'm going to give you so much meat that you're going to eat it to the point it comes out of your nostrils and then it becomes loathsome to you. I'm going to give you so much meat that you're not even going to want the meat anymore. And let me tell you, that's what he does. He brings this wind, right? And it knocks all, a, a billion birds out of the sky. I don't exactly know how this works. But about a day's journey away, there is this circle of dead birds waist high. How big is this circle? It takes a day's journey to cross it. And I, that's a lot of meat. and That's a lot of bird to eat. So they, they get there. They gather the meat. They're collecting it. It takes them like a whole day to get all that meat. Right, so here they come. They get the meats. Now you look at what it says in Numbers eleven thirty three. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, first by hum, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord is kindled against the people, and he strikes them with a severe plague. Now, first time through, like, hold on. Okay, God, if if you were you were frustrated. I get it, but but you decided it was right to give them meat, and now you're mad at them for eating the meat. Is that true, though? You think God here is mad at something they did, or is God maybe mad at something they didn't do? What's what's the glaring absence? It's not as obvious to you because we skipped the passages. Uh, we didn't read verse by verse. But one thing you're not going to find in the whole process of the, of the birds coming, collecting other birds to the point where they chew the bird. They had to pluck them, cook them, right? What did they not do? They did not thank the Lord. They did not praise the Lord. They did not acknowledge even the existence of God that he had anything to do with it. So is the meat the solution to the greed? Or it is getting over our entitlement and beginning to appreciate who God is and what God has done. Because God gave this to them, and we read later in Numbers 21, they complained again about how loathsome that food is. God says, Yeah, it is loathsome, All right? We are the problem. Our attitude is the problem. Our circumstances is not the problem. Our circumstances will never be the solution. And it's the illusion that it will be. You know, I, I moved to New Jersey, and I'm very happy that I did. Uh, I have a parking spot. You guys heard of those, right? Uh, having a parking spot is pretty cool. I can get in the car. I can drive to a Target, and I can buy some things. I can come home, and I can park. You don't have to think about what, Amen, man, I don't have to think about what time of day I'm doing it. Man, that is nice. I'm telling you, that, that, that's good living but has that changed my overall satisfaction and happiness for life in general? No. How can something make your life better and not make you happier at the same time? It's true though, isn't it? I've got, I've got, I can get something new and yes, it makes my life better, but that doesn't make me more satisfied. So the things will never be the satisfaction or the solution. God is the solution. A restoration of our heart is the solution. You look at what Paul says, uh, 2 Corinthians 12 9, or what Paul said, Jesus says, Jesus, says, listen, I ain't going to do it for you. You got the stone in your side. I allowed the devil to do that. I'm supervising that. I ain't taking it away. I'm not. Because the fact is, it's there for a reason, and you need it more than you don't want it to be there. And I can leave it there because my grace. What I've already given to you is enough for you to be okay. Is anyone here going to say out loud that what God's given to us is not sufficient? We won't say that out loud. May, may God make that a reality in our hearts. Now we're talking this is this is superstar Christianity right here. If we can overcome our greed, what does that mean about us as people? That means you are a transformed person, guided by the Holy Spirit, bearing fruit of the Holy Spirit. But let's, let's leave the realm of money and possessions. Let's get more real about what greed is and looks like in our heart and realize Jesus Christ, what he's done for us is a solution to change my heart, to change my perspective. If he gave his life for me, if God gave his son for me, but I didn't ask for it, and I certainly did not deserve it, what else can I do? desire or expect. So we we, we pray now and we'll, we'll pray right now that God would help transform our hearts in this way. Father God, we pray you now through uh, Jesus Christ, uh, mindful of his grace and his goodness. We, we confess, Lord, our sins before you, uh, our dissatisfaction, um, how much we uh, overlook the blessings that we do have, how much we take for granted the blessings that we do have, how much we covet and are greedy for more. We think that we are owed and do a good life here, but Lord, this is the wilderness. You allow us to suffer. You allow us to go through hard times. You are not ignorant of the difficulties we face here, uh, but you allow us to face these difficulties for your purpose because of the good that it will do for us in the end. And you have equipped us to face these difficulties with the gifts that you have already given us. We praise you, Father, for the gift of Jesus Christ, his life, his blood, and his uh, gu- uh, guidance. May we ever love him. That's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.